Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal of this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about ego and accountability. And to talk about that topic, I have Sai Wakeman as my guest. Sai is a drama researcher, international leadership speaker, and consultant. In 2001, she founded Reality-Based Leadership. She's a New York Times bestseller author and was named as one of the top global leadership gurus by Global Gurus, a top 100 leadership expert to follow on Twitter, and was deemed the secret weapon to restoring sanity in the workplace. Welcome, Sai, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to try to relate some of the conversation that we're going to have to the internal audit profession. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with a scenario that's kind of common in internal audit. And internal audit, for some people that maybe they're not aware, but it can be a political profession. We go through our process. We may have observations. We may have suggestions to the business. But in the end, once we're reporting those observations, there's a tendency for internal auditors to have a long negotiation with the stakeholders. And thinking about ego as what gets in the way during that, during that negotiation, what can internal auditors do to better deal with that process? I love that question. Uh, first of all, I think people need to understand what you and I mean when we talk about ego. It's easy to just think of others as egotistical or self-centered, um, but the ego is part of all of our minds. And the ego is usually activated when we're fearful or we um, feel so we need to protect ourselves. And it's when we are in a lower part of ourself, where in low self, we have a tendency to see information in ways that are distorted. So we take facts and we add story. So I may say I have a recommendation from internal audit and add that means that they don't understand the complexity of our business. And that means that they're out to get us or that means they're trying to discredit us with the board or that means, you know, they think this stuff is easy and they couldn't do this job in the real world. All that just happens was we have some uh, recommendations to talk about and it is our ego to add story about how this is going to play out in the future and what others are thinking and it assigns meaning and it jumps to conclusions. And that ego is that part of us that if we believe everything we think, if we um, think that this ego is our friend, it really limits the work we could do together, but it limits the ways we can serve our patients, our customers, our um, clients. It's toggling down, it's closing the word world, and it sees everything in either or black and white. It really leads to polarization. Um, a lot of times when you're in ego, you don't believe that multiple things can be true at the same time. You connect things that don't go together. Uh, we don't have the resources we need, we need, and that means leadership doesn't care. What we can do in roles like HR and internal audit is we can up our skill. We can quit critiquing other people's egos when they get involved. And we can up our skill and grow our skill set in finding ways that we can consult. 
and have strategies and techniques that don't engage the ego, but bypass the ego. And when people are, it's almost like there's a light switch, a binary switch when they're toggled down, they're seeing the world through ego and they're seeing it in a distorted way that they're the victim, that things are going together that don't connect really in the real world. And a lot of times what we want to do in that moment is meet ego with ego. We want to pull out our credentials. We want to, um, you know, pull out our creed that we're here to protect the stakeholders. We want to, like, we just um, meet that energy with like energy. And so if you're skilled, you will be good at alchemy, at transmuting the energy of ego. One by, I don't match the energy coming at me. I try and stay neutral. Um, I try and translate, you know, so you're just trying to shut us down. And like, actually, I'm trying to I'll work with you to make sure that you're um, operating in a sustainable way that will keep you open. But we have to be careful to not jump in and try and intellectualize or rationalize with the evil because it's not rational. And so it's emotional. And there are techniques and tools to bypass the ego and to really um, take someone who's toggled down and use self-reflection to toggle them back up. So you have low self ego, but you also have high self. Every one of us has this place where our brain is using all of our intelligence. We're really at our best selves. We're naturally collaborative. We're naturally um, interested in the best um, work for the best of the people that we serve. And you don't have to, from an audit perspective, usually turn bad, unethical people into good people. We aren't really police. We're lifeguards. Um, we aren't the external entity. We are the internal entity that, that says, I'm here to be your thought partner. I'm not grading you. I want to sit with you and I want to understand you're part of the business. Well, I want a thought partner with you. But if I say that, I have to act like that. So when people bring something forward, a good thought partner doesn't go unbelievable. So how long have you been doing that? They say, help me understand um, how that's worked for you. And we're basically, I think, in HR and internal audits, we could benefit from being good therapists. And therapists don't tell people what to do. We help people reflect on what they are doing and ask them how that's working for them and ask them if they're interested or curious about some other options. And that really is the way to, when people were meeting that ego, to, to open up a conversation. So keep that in mind from the way you even introduce your role and um, don't go in as the expert or the, the know-it-all. Go in with compassion and curiosity. And um, the goal to expand our thinking, um, non-judgmentalism. So from the moment we start, I was a counselor that worked with people that were involved in um, some addictive behaviors. And I didn't go in even asking how much you drank. I went in normalizing behavior. Many of the people that come to me have escalated drinking patterns. Some drink up to a fifth of vodka a day. What's your drinking been like? And it's not a trick question. I want to know your health before we start to work on some of your behavior. 
So the first way is to really stop judging and start helping and do that about a hundred times a day yourself. And so from those first interactions, help define your role. I'm a thought partner. Don't go in leaving it to chance that people understand your role. Go in saying, let's set some common ground. Here's the role I want to play. Here's how I would like to show up. And by the way, you have permission whenever you're um, seeing me not show up that way to invite me back to the table in a new way. When you're involved with folks and a conversation is getting exhausting, many times we double down and we want to fix the conversation. What I like to advise is end all conversations that are exhausting and begin new ones. Because a lot of times people want to focus on why we can't or why we shouldn't have to. And we're energy managers. We don't manage the work of people, but we manage the energy of where they can put their focus. And so I might say, let's not put energy there right now. What if we can put energy into how we could and we can look at better practices out in the marketplace or I can share better practices from within our organization um, to you and, and see how you can build this. So now getting back to your question, if I have worked with you and we're coming down to recommendations time and you're in that panic mode, like you're like, you cannot publish that and this will be disastrous and I beg of you, you know, um, you know, I will grieve this thing. What are my grievance procedures? I will, you know, or I'll start socializing this and I will make sure the board meets your, you know, recommendations with, you know, hello. We need to really manage the, um, the safety levels of the people we're working with and not coddle them, not lower the standard of the support in our relationship. So one, if you get to the point where people are concerned about your recommendations, I think you are way far into a process you didn't handle well, that you didn't move through the world really skillfully. I won't blame the victim here, but um, so what I like to do is immediately manage the energy. And so my answer to this question goes back to when I was um, a counselor. And oftentimes in our first session, I would ask people what the issue was. And their answer would show me that they were confused about who the team was. So let's say a traditional married couple was sitting in front of me with a teenage son. I would ask the husband in this traditional couple, what do you think the problem is here? Why are you here? And he would often say, my wife is too lenient on our son. And our son gets away with murder. And everyone knows that a good parent, that men need to learn discipline. And that starts in teenage years. I'm like, okay, so he actually believes the problem is his wife and her parenting. I would ask the wife, what do you think the problem is? She would say, it's my husband. He doesn't understand. He's alienating our son. He is too strict. And now I, as the expert, would understand what the issue was. The issue was that they were confused. They thought they were each other's problems, but they were actually the team, the parenting team. And the problem is the custom or the, the child not coming home on time for curfew. So I would have to say, everybody stop. The problem at hand is this lack of compliance with curfew from the kid. You're not each other's problems. You're the team. And I would have to change energy where it's the three of us problem solving how to ensure that 
either your son makes better choices or if he doesn't make those choices, that he isn't shielded from consequences and he isn't unduly punished. Once I reframed the issue, it was us against the problem. And many times I think when internal audit was um, um, working with me and my team, my team would get it confused that internal audit was the issue. And I'm like, no, internal audit is our team. The issue is poverty or lack of compliance or um, safety. That The issue in sustainability or access for um, all populations to our services. And so that wasn't just said once, that was a continual reminder to give my team language what did you just do? You changed the energy to us against them. Everybody back on this side of the table, let's change the energy. For, it's us against the problem, the business problem that we haven't yet sufficiently solved for. So that's my long, long answer to kind of get a set up. Um, internal audit, you cannot just go in and critique other people going judging. You got to go in helping. Absolutely love the answer and so many things to unpack there. You need to come in as a thought partner. Love that term. You need to be an energy manager. You need to up the support, not lower the standard. And you need to define the team and the issue and not think of other people as the issue. So, so many things, so many good, good, uh, tips there for internal auditors. Thank so, you for the good summary. And I think I would add, we need to do a better job of normalizing that everyone has what we're going to work on next. And I think people want to like pass the audit. And if we're working on continuous improvement, it's not even graded that way. Like let's help you understand your current risk situation and a lot of times I use my audit as the very data I needed to get the resources I needed or to um, impact strategy. But my auditors were my friends. I'm like, please tell the board that. I've been telling the board that for, and, and so it helped me be more um, open that let's go um, together and really uh, help people understand our, our current situation. Absolutely. Which kind of leads me to my to my second question here related to accountability, which is a, a central theme in the material that you have in uh, one of the books that I read from you, uh, No Ego, which, by the way, I absolutely love the book and highly recommend it. So from your perspective, for the leaders out there who need to hold their team accountable, what is the best way for them to do so? And I'll, I'll have to plug in a second question here related to internal audit. And internal audit, sometimes we have to hold other teams accountable. So what's the best way for you to hold people who are in a different department accountable? Oh, my goodness. Good question. I didn't intend to ever be uh, researching or speaking on accountability. Um, a lot of people, though, thought accountability was a dirty word or they um, weaponized it. And it was so important for me to help people better understand accountability. Um, one thing is a lot of people want to hold others accountable. And that's really not something that individuals should do to one another. 
Um, we should first look as leaders how we enable lack of accountability. That's a much better um, place. And so let's say I ask for, um, you know, edits on some of my recommendations and, um, or I ask for um, time with individuals to go through, or I ask, I have a list of information I need. A lot of times we're like, how do I make them give it to me? And I'm like, I would rather ask the question, how do I enable them not giving it to me? And a lot of times we enable it by talking about them rather to them. We enable it by escalating things too early when we haven't even really sat down and said, how can I make this easy for you to provide this information? Um, so that's one piece. Accountability isn't whose butt's on the line. Um, and I don't necessarily love holding people accountable. I like to use standardized processes um, to build in accountability so that we use HubSpot in our business. It's our one point of truth. And I, it's vanilla. It's not modified. You cannot mess with it. You can't individualize it. Just get your stuff in there. But call comes in. So when people come and they say, you know, sorry about the opportunity with Facebook. And I might pull up HubSpot and they're like, well, I don't have it in there yet. I go, then there is no opportunity with Facebook. And I don't enable people by having conversations um, outside of processes. If we can pull up the opportunity with Facebook and it's all in our HubSpot and we can look at past contracts, we can look at uh, where this is from a prospect to. And so, I think it's easier to be on the same team with somebody when I'm just um, saying it, the, the standardized processes will hold you accountable. In my book, um, lack of accountability is not as much as the enemy as variance. So variance is my enemy. Um, and variance comes from lack of accountability. But if we depersonalize it, I can't follow a lead that is partly in an email and partly on your desk and partly in your head. So um, when we look at uh, accountability and it is a, a central theme, the best ways that leaders can hold people accountable is be clear in their expectations, ask directly, do I have your commitment on this? Most people don't start with the first step of accountability commitment. If you sit in the exit row of an airplane, they don't let you by with a head nod. They say, can I count on you to open that door? Or you can't sit here. I want leaders to do that. Are you clear on what I need? And are you committed to that? And are you factoring in your commitment? There will be some reality. There will be lack of communication, um, interruptions, disruption, given we have all these circumstances, are you in? And then as people hit barriers and they start to find disruption. The second thing leaders can do is work with people. Then what did you try? Um, where have you crowdsourced this? Where have you um, reached out for best or better practice? Where, what other people in our industry, like what do you, industry associations do you belong with and what are they saying is a good solution for this? What have you thought about doing? Most leaders wanna say, do it and then be mad when it doesn't happen. And we've got to be more active than that. I've got to be clear up front. I've got to ask for your commitment. I have to stay in relationship with you. So as barriers come up, I can help you stay the course. I can teach you how to problem solve. 
And then I need to, the third factor in accountability is ownership. I need to have you self-reflect. What did you do in this situation that helped? And what did you do that hindered? That needs to be conversational, not confrontational. It needs to be daily dialogue. Let's talk about the choices you made. Because if I can't help people find their choice, their point of impact, if they can't own it, they can't change it. And if they can't own it, they can't keep it. And that's part of internal audit should be, here's what you should keep. This is really spectacular. We forget that part. We get into exceptional reporting. Um, yeah, we just tell people how they're going to die, not how well they're living. The whole point of accountability is our fourth factor. So our factors are ownership, resiliency, um, I'm sorry, commitment, resiliency, ownership, continuous learning. The whole point of all of this is if we can own this, we can keep it or change it. And all of this is to get more conscious and intentional. So a lot of times people start with ownership and people weren't committed in the first place or they weren't clear in the first place. There wasn't integrating learning in the resiliency. We didn't do lessons learned very well. And so we get down to what's your part in this. People are defensive. They feel like it's personal. And in some ways it is. They weren't committed and they weren't resilient and they aren't involved in evolving and, and learning. So a couple of ways to hold other teams accountable and ourselves accountable is people are really good at telling me what they want different. What would great look like? You know how the world should work, Cy? It should, you know what a good organization is? It is, you know, we should have better communication. And a lot of times they want to skip the accountability part by write a list of how their reality should be different and then find somebody to take the list. I do an engagement survey. You come to me and you ask me for more information and action planning. And I tell you what I need. And I want you to go um, take that list and change my reality. Leaders need to stop enabling that. There's a middle stop. What do you want? And what are you personally willing to do to get that? And that's the step we miss a lot. And we need to work that list until it's robust enough to get part of what people want. Then comes the list, what can I, as a leader or the organization or other departments do for you? If you want to hold other departments accountable, the best way is for you to go first on the accountability piece. I'm involved in so many debriefs that the whole debrief is an accounting for how other people failed us. So I'm like, let's do a debrief. Well, marketing didn't get the website up. And the executive leadership didn't. I'm like, this is not a debrief. This is, you know, here's accountable debrief. Um, what were the results that were required? Let me give you a real example. A lot of times in the debrief, people first overrate their own results. I go, what, what did we commit to? We committed to having 10 engineers recruited to North Dakota in six months. Okay. How did we do? You know, pretty good. And like, so we got all 10? Oh no, we got three. And I'm like, well, where's pretty good come out of this? Well, considering the circumstances, it's freezing in North Dakota and engineers are very hard to find. I'm like, we committed to 10 
And what people want to do is they want to alter the standard so they will measure up to it. They're like, no, we did pretty good. And they want to put an asterisk by all these conditions. Given the fact it's cold in North Dakota, given the fact it's hard for people who, um, you know, don't like hunting to move there. And I'm like, take out all the asterisks. We did not go in with any asterisks. We'll deliver if the following conditions are met. We committed to delivering. So let me be clear as a leader. First thing you can do as a leader to hold your team accountable and other teams is to say, let's be honest about our results. Here's what we committed to. There's no shame in this, folks. We didn't get those results. Now talk to me, what happened? Well, marketing didn't. And the executive team, when they showed up, they didn't sell the opportunity. Time out. Let's start with us. Everybody start with a sentence. I chose, I denied, I assumed, I did, I didn't fill in the blank. All these tools are in the No Ego book. All these tools are in a lot of my books. Because we can't just think about this stuff. We have to give people the thought process to move through it. So people are like, I am not that good at project management. I assumed if I ordered a website for marketing, they would deliver one. Oh my gosh. The ability to account for how we got here is the ultimate gift because it gives you the freedom to move forward differently, the ability to respond differently. Accountability and responsibility are not dirty words. Then to hold other teams accountable, we invite them into round two. We go, let's show you round one. We looked at ourselves and here is how we failed in this area. And now we would like to see other things you can identify about yourself or your team that added to this. We've identified single points of failure. Where were the double points of failure or the triple points of failure? And what that does is it sets the tone to invite people to be vulnerable. We're not here to critique you. Um, we're here to thought partner again with you. And that usually opens people up. And if it doesn't, maybe they have a blind side. You can say one of the things that we experienced that made it more difficult than maybe it needed to be is the way you capture information. And we're just wondering, is that something you've considered you know, changing? And can we give you some good data? Most people come in and tell other people what they need to do, other groups. And their data is corrupted with victim-mindedness and their own innocence and, um, you know, a, a bit of fake news. And instead of coming in and saying, um, here's our part, we invite you to identify your part. And we have a few asks of you. We uncorrupted our data by finding out what's ours. And then we have come to you with the best data we have. And let's talk about what could be next. Very, very good. The the flip in the question, instead of how can I make people accountable is how do I enable lack of accountability? That's great takeaway, clear expectations, commitment, the plain example, the exit row that, that, that will, will, stuck, will, will stick with some people. So in, in your last point about what did we do incorrectly? taking ownership for stuff, which leads me to the next question. Uh, one of the ways to not have people of, that are low accountable within your group is to attract 
high accountability yeah. talent out there. And again, you have a, a great question, a great interview question that I've actually used in the past and it does work. Uh, so it says, tell me about a time in which you're not able to produce the results you promise or committed to. And then all you do is just sit back and listen. Yes. And how many times does that person say the word I? Yes. <laughs> That's a high accountable person. So other than that uh, great tip, what other tips would you have for leaders out there to attract high accountability people? So some of it has to do with how you manage the people that you have. The same behavior won't please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. You, you will divide your audience. So if I slow change down, I please my low accountables, but displease my high accountables. They're nervous. They're nervous when we aren't changing. If I speed change up, high accountables are less anxious, but low accountables are anxious. So with the people you have differentiation, most people say, but I don't have any positions open. How can I change the accountability level of my team? Look at the positions you're filling with um, people that don't live up to uh, what you'd hoped for. So I performance manage and develop hard and heavy. So, and I don't just wait until I have an opening. I recruit hard and heavy. But what I would tell you is that people that are high in accountability want to work with other people high in accountability. So many of us think, Sai, you don't understand. It's the great resignation. It's the quiet quitting. There's no talent out there. You don't have to solve for the talent shortage. That's not the real shortage on the micro. You're confusing macro with micro. The real shortage on the micro is great places for high accountables to work. And so if I create a drama-free workplace and we're highly accountable, People who are low in accountability and a great resignation will leave us. I want turnover. I just don't want regrettable turnover. And then I really want to um, recruit for those that are high in accountability. And um, you know, I continue, interviewing is just one um, piece of that. I even like to um, um, you know, recruit and test before I even have a position. Everyone out there that is a leader should know your next 10 phone calls if you have a position open. How do you know those people? Be involved in your industry um, associations. Be mentoring people outside your organization. Be willing to um, go in and teach a class, you know, one session of a, a college class or present um, locally or Recruit internally, internal auditors. Some of the best ones of them come from people on the business side, on the upside. Like, go, it's like people sit back and they're like, oh, I opened up a position and had two applicants. I'm like, that's not how you do positions. You, you notice who are the people that partner with you in internal auditing that are like, I want a thought partner. I'm an open book. Like, please help me. And they take suggestions and co-create them and improve, go tap them on the shoulders. And it may not be give them a position if that's not possible. Give them a chair at the table for um, a co-led audit. Like some of the audits now aren't just having internal audit come out, but they're having other leaders in the organization put a second pair of eyes 
and help each other out because I can see it in your organization, but I can't see it in my part of the organization. So if you want to increase accountability, um, yes, recruit accordingly, but don't recruit traditionally. And, um, and I would tell you, sometimes people tell me, Sai, my team doesn't have a lot of resiliency or my team doesn't this. In fact, I, the CEO tell me, my executives just aren't that resilient. We don't have any resiliency in that organization. I'm like, no, you don't have any diversity in your organization. You have resiliency. You just don't let them come to the top positions. Go ask the single mom who had to take three buses to work to work in your kitchen, and she will teach you resiliency. But you haven't invited you know, her to the table because you have such a narrow margin of how you develop people. And so, especially in today's world, be out there looking for um, people that show accountability in their lives, we can teach them the jobs. We can, we have, you know, career pathing that we can get them there. So, um, that would be my other tips on building a high accountable team. Yeah, absolutely. Focusing on passion over just specific professional experience, right? Great, great yeah. tip. Uh, last question here. And this is again, from your book, No Ego. Uh, you have a, a section there, a phrase that I really love says, uh, people need to vent. It makes them feel better. And your response to that statement is, <laughs> so does crack cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a good lifestyle. <laughs> so, Which if people get to know me, I'm a little snarky. But people are like, <laughs> I just want to vent for a minute. It's like, I need to let people vent. They have some feel better. And I'm like, she does a lot of other horrible behavior. <laughs> but not what we want at work. In fact, yeah. people say to me, I'm just going to bring my whole self to work. And I tell them, please do not do that. Bring your most evolved self um, to work. Yeah. So many people think that venting is sharing feelings and that you will express them and they will like leave you and resolve themselves. But sharing feelings usually is a sentence or two. The only way to resolve feelings is actually feeling them. Like if, if you, if I say, how are you doing? You're like, I'm so frustrated. And I said, okay, just close your eyes and just be with that feeling. You would have a physical response. You would either have, you know, like, oh, I feel tight in my chest. I feel anxious, right? You would start crying. But most people intellectualize their feelings into grievances and then they vent. Venting isn't sharing feelings. It is sharing the story you've made up to justify the feelings. If you are frustrated, for instance, you have two options, impact it or radically accept it. The third option, I don't want to do anything about it and I'm not going to accept it. I just want to stay invent about it. Only leads to your own suffering. And so I think it's important that if people want to feel better, you can feel better through increased accountability. You can feel better through sharing feelings and actually feeling them. Um, but you can't feel better through venting, oh, I promise. It feels good in the moment, but long-term, it becomes a lifestyle. And the lifestyle venting creates is you're the victim. You can have no impact in the world and you are in despair. I do not know how that is called feeling better. Absolutely. Best way to resolve feelings is to actually feel, feel. the feeling. Yeah. So great. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's been an honor to have you on. Great conversation. For those who want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to connect with you? 
We love connecting with people on LinkedIn and we are prolific in putting out lots of videos, notices when we're on podcasts such as yours, um, notices about our own podcast, which we took on hiatus. It's called No Ego, but there's tons of content out there on any place you get podcasts. Just look for No Ego on LinkedIn. If you are a scroller, um, at Cy Wakeman is a fantastic way to stay in touch. Um, and lastly, realitybasedleadership.com forward slash newsletter is our website and our newsletter. Because of the algorithms that change a lot on social, we've gone back to the newsletter. We give you really good video content you can share with your team every other week. We're kind of like you every 15 days. Yes. Um, so we'd love for you to sign up for the newsletter. We don't harass you or try and sell you things. We just <laughs> let you um, know about new content. Awesome. And I highly recommend the training. Went through the reality-based leadership training and highly recommend. So thank you so much, Sai. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you.